Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk About Brand. I, of course, am your host, Christine Gritman, and I really love digging into what branding means, how it connects to marketing, all these different angles each week, and this week we're going to talk about it from the angle of persuasion. What is persuasion? How does branding fit into persuasion? And what does soulfulness have to do with it? That's coming up because this week's guest is Jason Harris. He is the author of the book, The Soulful Art of Persuasion. And so we talked today about, you know, what persuasion is, what it means, what branding has to do with your ability to persuade. What are some of the elements that your brand really needs to have in place in order to be persuasive. We even talk about how the art of persuasiveness has changed over time and how brands have had to change to accommodate it. So it's a very exciting discussion, lots of geeking out, lots of digging into what we mean by the words we're using when we talk about brand soul, when we talk about brand even, and when we talk about persuasion. All right, so let's get to it. We are going to be talking about branding and persuasion and how you can't really persuade with the same heft, with the same soul, as it were, without a strong brand. So our guest today certainly knows all about that. Jason Harris is the co-founder and CEO of Mechanism, and he is the author of The Soulful Art of Persuasion. Spoiler alert, brand is a big part of that. And he is the host of the Soul and Science podcast. So we're certainly going to be diving into the psychology because all marketing and all branding really is ultimately social psychology. We're going to be digging into what persuasion really is and how branding plays a really, really important role in all of that. Without any further ado, let's bring him on. Hello. Come on down, Jace. Yeah. All right. I like the applause. It really makes me feel good. We like making our guest stars feel like rock stars here because they are. Hello. Hello. All right. Love that. All right. Cool. So let's kind of dive into what we're talking about when we talk about persuasion. And before we started recording, we were talking about sort of branding and marketing and kind of the lines between these things. And I posited that branding is making the connection that you can then leverage via marketing to persuade. So I guess that's kind of a good starting point to start with. But, you know, what is persuasion? What are we talking about when we talk about persuasion first and foremost? Well, persuasion, you know, that's why the the book's called The Soulful Art of Persuasion, because I think persuasion is sort of a dirty word. I think we it has a lot of stigma to it. And I think when we think about persuasion, We think about people trying to convince us or brands convince us to do something, buy something that we don't want to do or for people, you know, do an action that we may not want to take. And the soulful art is really the idea that building character and trust or creating a strong brand helps you to persuade. Another way to say it is selling. And when we think about brands and we think about CMOs jobs, their job is really to increase sales for the companies that they work for or to persuade more people to buy products or services. And we think about people, it could be a million things. We're persuading all day long, right? You're persuading, you know, listen to your podcast to get guests on the show. 
maybe persuading your spouse to, you know, m make a move. You're persuading your boss to give you an increase, whatever it might be. We're in this like cosmic dance of persuasion, whether we're a brand or we're a person all day long. And so it's really important to think about the triggers behind how you can be more successful at that. But I loved what you said about uh, the difference between marketing and branding when we were talking earlier. I think that's something I'd love to come back around to. And it's interesting how you mentioned the certain triggers, because when I hear the word persuasion, one of the first places my mind goes is the 1957 book, The Hidden Persuaders. I mean, the 1950s are sort were sort of a, a golden era of modern marketing. Um, I love that book. Yeah. But it was very ad heavy marketing. Back then, the persuaders were little psychological tricks that brands were putting in their ads. I feel like it was more ad driven. And I feel like especially in this era where we've moved to kind of mistrusting advertisements a little bit where we've moved to more of a back and forth with brands where it's no longer they broadcast information at us and we sort of swallow it up. There's a little bit more of a relationship there. So I'd love your take on sort of how how persuasion works now and, now? and yeah. how brands kind of tie into that. I think you're you're right cuz that that was in a world of of advertising where there's no, it's a one-way communication, right? And so we're now in a, you know, two-way communication, right? And so we also live in this age now where we're in an, an age of distrust. And when you put something out there, kind of the immediate reaction is that it's bullshit. And people's bullshit detectors are very high. And so today, in order to persuade you, you have to be trusted both as a person and as a brand. I keep using those two things, but you have to be trusted and having character and brands and companies that are trustworthy and have character are more successful. They have more emotional pull, same way with people. But we live in a much different era now where everyone's always on the, on the lookout to see if they are being persuaded by trickery or if they're being persuaded by, you know, authenticity. So I think it's the game's totally changed. Now, you said when we were talking earlier that people hate being sold to, but they love brands. So yeah, people hate what, advertising. People hate advertising, but they love brands. That's so what, a, does, that's what a modern, does that mean? I'm a modern hidden persuader, right? So like, that's what <laughs> I do for a living. And I will admit that people hate advertising. There's a lot of studies that 77% of brands could disappear and no one would care. You know, it, 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 there, there's all this research that, you know, if you look at people, people don't care if the brands that they buy or are contemplating buying disappeared tomorrow, they wouldn't care. That means there's about, you know, 30, 30% or less, 25% of brands that are sticky and that people really love. Those brands communicate differently. They sell differently. And I think it's how do you get into that, that, you know, 23% and not into the 77%. And there is recently, I think it was like last summer, there was a Kantar study that eight out of 10 people said that ads are annoying. So I, I'm, I don't know who, what 20% doesn't, don't think ads are annoying. I mean, I think the right ads aren't annoying, but advertising is typically 
preventing you from watching the content you really want to watch or read the story you really want to read or listen to the podcast that you really want to listen to. And so typically people really don't like advertising, but they like advertising from brands that they've built love for. So if you can build a brand that you love, when you hear a message from that brand, you're much more susceptible to it and you resonate with it. But if it's from a brand you could care less about, you kind of ignore it. So the first order of business in persuading for brands is really to create that love and then turn that into, you know, acquisition or results or moving units. And I think today with performance marketing, so at the forefront of advertising spend, a lot of brands skip building the brand love. They don't really think about branding and they go right into like, I put a dollar into a machine and I get a dollar 20 back and they measure on what platforms do I get the, the highest return. But that's short term, that's short term thinking. It's not building long-term brand love. And so you're going to have to keep putting that money in that machine to get those returns. And it's going to be a never-ending cycle. But if you put investment in branding and creating a brand and a brand with a purpose, that it stands for something, it has a soul, you know the reason for it to exist, that creates brand love and you have to spend less money in that conversion part. Absolutely. To your point, by the way, about who's that 20% who loves ads, I find them yeah. fascinating, which explains why I have a podcast on the Ad Week podcast yeah, network. You, I mean, you're, you're excluded from the study, right? Yeah. Well, we're the people who are, you know, in it. So obviously we love it, but that's not the average person at home. And that's part of why advertising really is such an art and a science. But so is branding. I loved what you said about how, you know, you don't have that trust and and your ads are not going to be as effective over the long term if you're not building a brand with it. You mentioned the word soul, which is definitely something I want to get into because you've got, you know, soul in the name of both your podcast and your book. So let's talk about what you mean when you're talking about soul with connection to persuasion and thus to branding. Yeah. So on <clears throat> not to not to talk too much about my podcast on your podcast, but soul and science is really, it's our philosophy as a advertising agency. And it's what the podcast is about where I interview chief marketing officers and really break down this, this sort of dilemma between soul and science and how much I believe that the best work is understanding the brand soul, why the brand exists, what it's trying to accomplish and putting dollars and spend behind that and then the science can be the data, the results, it can inform the soul. But a brand without a soul is just, a, it's like a person without a soul that is just asking for things. We all have people in our lives like that that are purely transactional. And they we don't have that established connection or trust with them because, you know, they come to you only when they need something. But they're not building that affinity throughout so that when they do ask for something, you're obliged to do it. And I think what, what I think about when I think about soul, it has to come back to the roots of what you're, what the brand's trying to accomplish, why it exists in the world. And I think that's really the same as people and, and values of the brand and values of your own personal brand have to be really clear and distinct. So it sounds like soul is ultimately purpose. It, and and it is, yeah. 
Yeah. And purpose is, it goes back to even Simon Sinek, start with why. That's really what, you know, your purpose can't just be do this thing and make money from it. But at the same time, if you are in business, do this thing and make money from it is, of course, part of what you're trying to accomplish. So so how can how can brands just make sure that yeah. the business part doesn't take over and they've got something that people can connect with on a deeper level? How do you sort of keep in touch with that and make sure that you don't just become kind of business behemoth that doesn't have that soul? Yeah, I think it's a really, really great question. And I think I think the word purpose, going back to the word you keyed in on there with purpose, purpose, I think t- today, just like I talk about in the book, I, I call the book that I talk about 11 Habits to Become a Master Influencer. It's really influencer is any person that's trying to persuade. It's not what we think of as either a TikTok influencer or a YouTube influencer. So I'm using that differently. And when it comes to purpose, purpose is the brand purpose is what you're trying to achieve, why, what you're trying to accomplish. It isn't necessarily a higher order purpose like a social good purpose. Like it doesn't necessarily have to ladder all the way up to, you know, th- this brand's trying, trying to become, you know, a nonprofit or change the world. It's really what is the purpose for the product or service? Why does it exist? How is it differentiated? Why does it deserve to be in the world? And ultimately, why should people care about it? And so that's the way I, I use a purpose. But your question was, how do we get people to, how do we get brands to care about that? As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. I mean, how do we make sure that brands, because of course a brand is always part of their purpose, is always going to be what they're selling, selling ultimately yeah. and selling it successfully. So how can brands make sure that they keep that sense of being tied to their purpose? And of course, that they're able to communicate it so that it's very clear to the people following the brand that they're not just following a brand who wants their money, but they're following a brand that has a deeper, more soulful purpose to it. Yes, good question. I think you have to really it's really about emotional versus rational and i think it's trying to communicate and hitting people's emotions to get them to respond to the brand and it's not rational where it's using you talked about the hidden persuaders where that advertising might be about cost or why this product will last longer it's really rational 
it's rational communication to get people to want to part with their wallet. And I think branding or, or soul or purpose is the emotional reason. It's the storytelling behind why the brand exists, what it's trying to accomplish. When you think of a brand like Disney and you think of the, the one word that you think of is magic, you know, that's, that's a purpose brand that's connecting with a consumer. You're not thinking about, you know, the, the, until you get there, of course, the park costs or, you know, how much it's, it's going to, or how long the waits are. You're thinking about this, this higher order of connection to that, you know, getting a piece of that magic from Disney or obviously on the, on the other extreme, a brand people always talk about is, is Patagonia because they are real into, you know, saving the planet. And that is their reason for being. And they happen to sell products for people exploring the outdoors, but they they have a higher purpose, a higher emotional connection. They'll never sell based on, you know, like data points. They're going to sell on this higher purpose that you're buying into. So that that's how you, brands have to think about it. I think more nascent brands or more tech-focused brands, they oftentimes will skip that higher brand thing and they'll go right into the rational and the bells and whistles and the reasons to believe that are facts and figures. And that burns out pretty quickly because you don't have an emotional connection to the brand. You have a rational connection only to the brand and it's only serving a limited purpose when you need that product or service, but you don't have any feelings for the brand. You do need that balance, though, because, yes. you know, you can have a brand that has all the purpose in the world. You're certainly trying to do good. Hopefully the products are decent. You know, you've got you've got the soul part on lock, but then you don't really have a strong brand. I've certainly seen plenty of those, especially when I worked with small businesses and I worked directly with like this person who was doing like a one person thing. They had all the soul in place. Like they knew what they were doing. They believed in it. They had a story, but they didn't really properly have a brand. And thus they were not able to use that brand to make connections with people and to persuade. So they had the passion. They had the soul. There was something missing in that translation from soul to brand that got lost and and didn't let the business succeed. And of course, we've seen the opposite too. We've seen plenty of soulless corporations that that succeed plenty well. So the brand piece is what I'd really love to kind of define. Like what takes, what do you need to do? What's the alchemy there that takes you from having a soul and having a purpose to then translating that into a brand that people can really connect with? Yeah. So, I mean, I, one, one brand that I always love to talk about that really came out of nowhere was, a, you know, Liquid Death. They're, you know, they sell the most benign, easy product in the world, which is water, right? They package water up, but they package water up around a brand story, which is Liquid Death, which is a dangerous name. It's about murdering your thirst. It's about selling it in cans, which is much healthier for the planet. And so they created this whole story selling the most, you know, 
unoriginal product in the world of water, but they did it around building, you know, a logo, you know, symbols, a name, a line of what they stand for that, you know, they put out and now they're selling water, but they really are selling the brand. They're selling liquid death through apparel and skateboards and watches and anything you can think of to get a piece of that brand lifestyle. And so they really created this brand from selling the, the easiest thing in the world, which is water. And so I think that's, that's a good example. And I don't know in your example, if the story was there, but it was tied too much to an individual or a person and their story, because you have to often separate the founder story, which is one track to the brand story. And if it's yeah. too connected, you're almost only just selling the personal brand story, which is hard to translate into selling products. Yeah. It's so like, those what's are in it for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What is the thing that you're selling me that will, you know, make my life better, something I'm proud to put on, you know, what's the, what's the icon for, what does it represent in the world? And I think that piece has to be separated from the founder or originator, their story. And they have to be two different things. I like what you said about how part of the liquid death thing is you're sort of selling the lifestyle because you're right. It is such a basic product. It's water. It literally falls from the sky. We're made up mostly of it. But also there's a lot of people trying to sell us water. So, you know, why would someone buy liquid death over something else? And part of that persuasion, as you implied, is the lifestyle element. Like it's it seems cool. So, I mean, how and it's original. That's that's the other yeah. really important thing for branding is it's original in a sea of water products that are mostly different names with different plastic bottle configurations. You go in there to the store and you see something that really is original and pops out and, and stands out. That's really important for branding. It has to, you have to be an original and you have to be saying something different. And when it goes to that's a brand that's really based on very little performance and very high branding advertising because they do a lot of viral videos. They leverage a lot of influencers. They don't do a lot of, you know, click to buy types of, of advertising. They're really all about brand and brand. And if they had tested that brand liquid death with, you know, consumer panel and done all their research and focused only on the data, no one would have said that's a good name. You know, no one would have said, yeah, I'll buy a product that has death in it to, you know, drink more water and be healthy. No one would immediately think that that makes logical sense because it's so different. It stands out. And because it stands out, they could pour money into branding and not worry as much about just, you know, performance driven marketing. So it's about this this balance, it sounds like, of style and substance. So you have to have the substance. You have to have the soul of your brand first. Then the style is part of what makes it persuasive is, is what I'm hearing. How do you make sure? I always, I always think about that. Sorry to cut you off. No, go there. for it. I always think about that as like a, a Tootsie Pop. It's like the... The style, I like how you framed it with substance and style, but the what's inside the Tootsie Pop, you're, you're wrapping. It's like the medicine is the, the soul and what it's trying to do, and the style is the wrapping around it. It's the, 
the color and the look and how you dress it up and the origin or the, the reason for the brand is right in the middle. And, but you need to have both. You need to have the substance and then the style wrapped around it. Yeah. How do you make sure that they're in balance? Like if, if that was a terrible that, analogy, by the way, now it's, it's all good. And now I got the little, which I had another one, you know, it just popped in my head. Ooh, <laughs> Go ahead. No, I want to hear the other one. No, I don't have another one. Oh, I wish okay. I did. I need to come <laughs> up with another one for our second podcast. Oh, there you go. Well, I feel, I feel like, how do you make sure that they're in balance? Like, let's say your brand is just failing to catch. It's just failing to persuade. And you feel like, well, I've got the purpose and we've got this, you know, good looking brand package out there. Something's just not connecting. So how do you sort of troubleshoot that and figure out if the issue, where that issue is in that failure of communication? Is it a failure to to communicate the purpose? Is it a matter of just the vehicle is, is falling short? How do you identify where that imbalance is? that is getting in the way of your ability to persuade as a brand? Yeah, that's a good question. I think oftentimes it is about doing some risky work that you, you might, might not succeed. But I think a lot of times, <laughs> especially with smaller brands that don't have big budgets, they're doing, their work is, can become wallpaper and it can't stand out, even if they have the right look and the right product and the right, substance and style when they go to market the the substance and style and put it out there they're doing it in a conventional way or a way that's too safe that doesn't get noticed and therefore it won't connect it won't rise above the noise and it'll get lost and i think you have to be able to have some beautiful failures and try and experiment and do new things in order to stand out and i think too often Brands won't take too many risks or experiment, maybe experiment on new platforms, maybe experiment with some, you know, scary marketing tactics that aren't necessarily safe because anything that's that anytime you're following a playbook that is tried and true, the chances of it standing out are, are very low and you're going to have to spend much more money to stand out and to get noticed. And if you have the money, you can do it. And if you don't have the money, you're going to have to take a riskier path. I like that. Yeah. So if the math's not mathing, stop trying to make it math. <laughs> if the math isn't mathing, do something besides math. Nice. Nice. Bring some soul to your science. I like That's that. So yeah. All right. So this has been great. I have loved this exploration. I think we both had some like good little mic drop moments in there. If I, if I, I do say I agree, so I agree. ourselves. I'm going to start using the substance and style. I like that. Oh, oh, go for it. All right. So, so Jason Harris, tell everyone where they can find you, why they should find you and what they will find there. Well, it really depends what you're looking for. You can find more about the agency at mechanism.com. It's with M-E-K-A-N-I-S-M and see the brands that we work with. You can find out more about the book at thesoulfulart.com. And I think, I think why you might want to think about the book is I think it's very good for people that are looking at developing their personal brand because it really is about how do you persuade through your character and how do you persuade by being an original and standing out? And it's the same exercise 
that we have to do with brands. I think we, we also have people can do that with their personal brand as well. So I think that's the why. Awesome. And you know what? I'm going to throw a final question in there just because it's occurring to me. So I had you kind of define persuasion and define soulful and all that. How would you define a brand? How would I define a brand? Like a brand brand, a personal brand or any brand? Anything. Just What's a brand? Uh, I think a brand is what... Let's talk about brand. Okay, I like that. I think a brand is really what the product or service is that you're selling but it's higher order. It's the emotional and rational that have come together to form a brand. It's the reason why it exists. It's why it's different. It, what, what makes it original. And then coupled with what the product or service is, and you put the, the emotional and rational together to form a brand. Awesome. Well, thank you. How would, so you, define, much- how would you define brand? Oh, I mean, I mostly talk about personal branding. So I say the brand is the version of you that lives in other people's heads. But that applies for consumer brands as well. I mean, hopefully you're taking up that real estate in some way and some impression has made its way through to live in people's heads. And you just want to be in control of what that impression is and keeping it in there in a positive way. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. that's great. I try. I talk about brand a lot. (laughs) I I can tell. I can tell you do. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here, Jason. This has been great. Thanks for having me. And thank you, whether you are listening to Let's Talk About Brands on the Adweek Podcast Network or you're watching us here on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to Let's Talk About Brands on your podcast player of choice so you don't miss a single Monday episode and that you subscribe to Christine Gritman Inc. on YouTube so that you check out these video episodes on Fridays. And in between every Tuesday, I'm over on Twitter hosting Chat About Brands where you can weigh in on the week's topic. Thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk About Brand, part of the Adweek Podcast Network and Acast Creator Network. This podcast was produced by Christine Gritman, executive produced by Al Manorino and John Heil, and edited by Christine Gritman. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay updated on all things Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at Adweek Podcasts. And if you have a question or suggestion for the show, send us an email at podcast at adweek.com. 